Drawing room over here. You made it. Oh, come on through. Do you fancy drink? What's your tipple? There is no terror in the bang, only in the anticipation of it. The so-called master of suspense Alfred Hitchcock once said, more than 40 years after his death, Hitchcock's films remain on top of best film lists. It's his, really his persona that is endlessly intriguing to cinema buffs. An auteur whose side profile was almost as recognisable as his films. But who was the man behind more than 50 films, including The Birds, Rear Window, To Catch a Thief, Psycho, and Who Could Forget Vertigo. Dr. Wendy Haslam is an associate professor in screen studies at the University of Melbourne and is well versed in Alfred Hitchcock and his movies. Welcome to you, Wendy. Thank you, Andy. Great to be with you. Tell me about this side profile, this kind of distinct brand, if you like. It was almost him marketing himself in a sense. When did he begin to become famous? So much so that the name Hitchcock seemed to be higher up of the billing than the name of the film. Absolutely. So his image is so very consciously constructed and his image and profile are really literally connected to the materiality of film history, really. So when we think about Hitchcock, we can think about that kind of branding or the hero image that really kind of connects him to the roundness of his body, his profile and reels of celluloid that make up a kind of, you know, uh, marketing hero image for him. But really he became uh, very well known when he moved to Hollywood in the 1940s. Before that he worked in the British film industry. He actually began as a writer of intertitles in silent film, then worked as a set designer. Intertitles? What's an intertitle? Intertitles are exactly what you would see if you were watching a silent film and they stand in as kind of written titles and they stand in for the dialogue that's seemingly spoken when you're watching a silent film. Oh, so like a subtitle, but obviously in a silent film there isn't any audio to go along with it. So do you attribute that time in his career watching and observing cinema in the silent form as to his true understanding of its impact to the audience? Very much so. So Hitchcock working in silent film and then in the German expressionist film industry as well um, was very much interested in working to create what's, what he described as pure cinema. So he did this wonderful 50-hour interview with the French New Wave film director and critic uh, Francois Truffaut and here he talks about creating pure cinema. So here he's thinking about what silent film can offer him in creating and assembling sequences. So he's defining cinema in terms of those kind of singular elements that are so specific to film. So he's controlling the framing, the lighting, the setting, the cinematography, the editing, the rhythm of the edits as well, the costume, positioning and movement of characters and more to tell a story without sound. So thinking about how how sound can be expressed visually as well. And this was core to how he made film 
in the silent period and later when he was working in Hollywood and then when he returned to England. So he more or less was what we'd call a control freak. He wanted to have control over every element of his product, even down to the audience setting. Is it true that he wanted to lock the cinema doors during the uh, premieres of Psycho so that people would feel trapped? Absolutely true. So there is documentation to support that. Um, and it was, again, part of a kind of a very big marketing campaign. So it was almost pre-blockbuster marketing for Psycho, which was made in 1960 with a television crew and in black and white when colour was the norm then. So, yes, the locking of the doors, the signing of a contract that, you know, uh, you know ensured that the producers the people involved with um, the ex exhibition as well were not liable for any, you know, any damage that uh, a film like Psycho could cause as well. So there were all of these, you know, um, elements of marketing that went into uh, the creation of Psycho as well as Hitchcock himself. And this is all obviously decades uh, before viral marketing. He really truly understood the consumer, it seemed. Behind the camera, he was once quoted as saying that actors should be treated like cattle. Is that true? How was he on set? So the suggestion is that he was um, very controlling, as you've suggested, and that he did see, you know, actors for what they can provide the film only. <laughs> and so very much he was a, a director who uh, was very, you know, controlling not only of the actors, but also very controlling of the films and our kind of, our position as a viewer of the films as well. So um, very much he does that in terms of uh, manipulating, inviting us into films, um, allowing us to kind of um, move through a threshold and become immersed in the fantasy of the film, the film's world, the film's diegesis. And, in, and he talks about how his camera tracks characters, follows them in through doors, but how that door never really closes behind the, the actor who's also the surrogate for the viewer as well. So he's um, creating these, uh, you know, he's implying that the doors close and that the viewers are then immersed in the film's world. So he's controlling of characters, of actors, he's controlling of the technologies as well as how viewers encounter his films. Even down to his uh, reportedly obsessive behaviour around the lead in The Birds, Tippi Hedron, uh, she alleged that he harassed her, followed her around, uh, made life very difficult for her on set. And obviously this is very, very uh, before Me Too, but this sort of behaviour would probably be denounced now. But in the 60s, was this just par for the course? He was the auteur being an auteur. Well, this is the kind of, it's also part of the legend that really kind of defines him and creates him as a, you know, as an incredible kind of, um, you know, auteur and presence as a director. So, yeah, um, cinema's, cinema, Hitchcock's cinema from a Me Too perspective is really important to think about as well because often when I teach his films or teach any film that includes representations of sexual assault or violence, as his films often do, I always offer my students 
students information about the content, about the degree of representational violence that they might encounter. And we also um, uh, really carefully discuss the idea of these images being illusory, of course, some even black and white, so seemingly even more distanced from you know, our coloured reality. And we also talk about the clear kind of boundary between the fantasy and reality, but we also recognise the potential for cinema to really, you know, impact our senses and our sense of ourselves and our own worldview. So there's a lot of evidence that suggests that um, the, that gendered power imbalance exists on Hitchcock's sets and existed certainly between Hitchcock's Hitchcock and the stars, where a uh, degree of manipulation was involved as well. But that manipulation as well is very much central to his creation of the films themselves. If you've just joined me on our drive, Dr Wendy Haslam is here. We're talking about Alfred Hitchcock and his contribution to cinema. Of course, uh, a lot of the films that uh, you know uh, of his, Vertigo, The Birds, Rear Window, etc., kind of don't belie the totality of his filmography, 53 films he made over 50 years. There were themes, you mentioned earlier about doorways and this kind of idea that the door never closes. That is a kind of classic Hitchcock technique. Another theme or technique um, was this kind of idea of um, escape and desire, loneliness, uh, e even sometimes fulfilment. And there was also these close-ups of eyes. Talk to me about those because I think that is a, the hallmark as far as my brain goes, these close-ups of people's eyes. Very much. And it's kind of often sometimes what you really kind of take with you after you've seen a Hitchcock film. So he's very much interested in eyes and also interested in vision as well. And, you know, to the extent that he worked with Salvador Dali to produce some really wild, surrealist, experimental film sequences, like that one that we see in Spellbound, which has a huge scaled up image of an eye on a curtain, which is then subsequently cut with giant scissors. So he's imagining um, the importance of the eye as well. And actually, the most famous sequence from Hitchcock's film, Hitchcock's entire film career, is that shower scene from Psycho. And this is such an important sequence that begins and ends with an image of the eye. And this is an experimental montage. So it's really a sequence of shots similar to how I spoke about pure cinema before that's constructed to develop a sense of intimacy or suspense and then outright shock horror and shock horror for the eye as well. It's a really confronting and challenging sequence for the spectator and it also comes at a turning point in Psycho where our lead character, Marion, has really just made the decision to confess and return the money. So it's very much an exploration of personal insecurities. It works with what she can't see as well. So for the spectator, uh, it situates Marion inside the shower and she's at her most vulnerable, obviously. She's naked, she's trapped within a confined and unfamiliar space. She's in a hotel. Her hearing is impaired by the sound of water and her vision, so importantly, is limited and she's without access to anything that she could possibly use as a weapon to defend herself. And, of course, she doesn't imagine that this attack is going to happen. 
But for the spectator, this scene represents absolutely an assault on the main senses that are activated for film viewing. So senses that are engaged and challenged by all cinema, but particularly horror cinema. So this scene presents an assault on our own eyes, on our own vision, but also on our hearing as well, because you'll remember the screeching violins on the soundtrack that really signal alarm. Yes. Oh, God, it's giving me chills up my spine as you just... <laughs> it's amazing how evocative these images and sounds and psychological performances in combination are. I wonder, given his pioneering uh, use of technique and psychology, I suppose, in some senses, is there any other director in the modern era that has come close to doing both the technique and the psychology. I mean, I think about James Cameron and he's pushed forward this whole uh, advance of technology in the films like Avatar and so on, but lacks that kind of psychological, dramatical kind of depth. I wonder who else compares to Hitchcock? Well, one director who really modelled himself as well on Hitchcock is Brian De Palma, the American filmmaker, so we can think about his films. But I wonder also if you would think in a different way about someone like Jane Campion, our own, as we claim her, uh, Jane Campion, who also uses, you know, really experiments with technology and style, with images and with sound, and also really is involved very much in engaging that that kind of um, psychological aspect of cinema. But in Jane Campion's situation, often it is the woman who is the, you know, the heroine, the main character. So she kind of is recasting Hitchcock's films, really importantly, I would say. I do have to warn Hitchcock fans, there is a spoiler in this next question and answer. But there's a new documentary by Mark Cousins, My Name is Alfred Hitchcock, and it's seemingly narrated by Hitchcock himself from Beyond the Grave. Cousins artfully links Hitchcock's reflections on his film techniques to his own life in the documentary. Why do you think it was so important for Cousins to do this using Hitchcock's voice? Well, it's a really interesting question as well, Andy, because that piece of information is not given away until the absolute end. So uh, very much this is a film that um, wants to, it's a it's an archive film. Uh, my name is Alfred Hitchcock. And so it draws from a lot of the films that Hitchcock has made and then kind of gives us a survey or an overview or divides it into what they say are kind of, you know, six key emotions or six key segments, and you've named some of those. But Cousins is really interesting as well because he's also um, a filmmaker where we can see parallels with Hitchcock as well, but important differences. So Cousins was born in England but raised in Northern Ireland, and he's a filmmaker who is deeply um, invested in and involved in kind of exploring but representing the history of cinema. So he also takes on a really innovative and creative approach within his own filmmaking as well. So he's written and directed so many short films, but also very long films as well. So short ones include the uh, personal letters to film, filmmakers like um, 
John Grierson, the documentary filmmaker, and George Melies, the really important, um, you know, um, experimental silent filmmaker as well. But he also has worked with Tilda Swinton on providing access to a range of films for, particularly for children. So he um, has presented Iranian children's films to, uh, you know, audiences of British children as well. But people will know him for his most epic film, which is called The Story of Film and Odyssey, which is a 930-minute, 15-chapter film that was shown on television. And then this was followed by a film that he made called, um, uh, more recently called Women Make Film, a new road movie through cinema, where he gives almost equal time, this is 14 hours, uh, to the important place that women have held in shaping cinema. So he's a really interesting filmmaker in wanting to kind of mine Hitchcock's films and film history and to kind of represent them in a way that uses voiceover narration really interestingly um, and sometimes very in a very experimental way, as we see, with someone who very much sounds like Hitchcock when he's describing supposedly his own films and filmmaking. It's been marvellous to uh, take a stroll through Hitchcockian cinema and all of its iterations. Dr Wendy Haslam has been my guest. That documentary, by the way, My Name is Alfred Hitchcock by director Mark Cousins is screening as part of the British Film Festival until November 29th. Good to talk to you, Wendy. Great to talk to you, Andy. Thanks so much. You've been listening to a podcast of The Drawing Room with me, Andy Park. 